my first daughter, Rachel, got married, and uh, I had to walk up the aisle with her and give her away. And uh, for those of you who haven't been there, for those of you who have been there, having a son get married is easy. A daughter get married is hard, right? Tyson, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I walked up the aisle, and by the time I got to the front, this lip was just going. I was trying as hard as I could to. Mm. Her, her, her new father-in-law asked the question, who gives this woman to be married to this man, her mother and I. Once I stepped to this side of it, I was fine. <laughs> it's like, this is my place. Revelation chapter 9, when the wicked suffer, and we look at this passage and, and the wicked suffer. Today's passage of Revelation contains some of the best horror story content uh, of, of the book of Revelation. It's, it's like, we're, we're three weeks from Christmas. Next week is Christmas. I'll start, I'll start doing Christmas next week, honest. Uh, but, but we have these revel, uh, swarming, demonically-led, carnivorous locusts. Wow. Uh, it, it, with horrible stings, so bad you wish they killed you, but they do not. And in this horror story setting, we define something truly amazing. God's people are immune. Wow. Uh, What do we do when we are immune to the sting of death and the others around us are not? Wow. Uh, And the answer is, because what we find out is is this is is not an allegory uh, of of something. Because an allegory is a story that, that... says this but means this. This is a story of something literal that's going to happen, but it, is, it does have meaning that we can apply today. And, and the answer is ultimately we are free of the sting of death. We should try to help those who are not. But let's start with this. The, we'll start with the three woes. I'm going to back up one verse, chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the, the blast of the other trumpets of the three angels that are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And so we have, have these three woes. And, and I talked a little bit about this uh, uh, last last week, these three woes. The first, we have the first four trumpets, and then we have the three woes that seem to be associated with with the next three trumpets. And this one, uh, verses one through twelve of chapter nine, is releasing these creatures from the abyss, from the bottomless pit. Chapter nine, verses thirteen to twenty-one, same chapter. The sixth army releases an army, or the sixth angel releases an army of two hundred million people from the east, and that is probably the second woe. The, the interesting thing is, it doesn't say the second woe is ended until after chapter eleven, when when the two witnesses and all the things they bring on the earth. So it looks like there's a whole lot involved with that second woe. And the third woe uh, is is never actually named at the end in chapter eleven, verse seventeen. Uh, we read this. Um, is that what I want? It's what I have written down. Uh, let me start at 11.15. The seventh, oh, oh, verse 14 is what I wanted. I have 17 written down, but I want 14. Uh, 14 says, the second woe has passed. This is after the two witnesses and everything they do. Uh, Behold, the third woe is to soon to come. 
And then the seventh angel blows his trumpet, and we never have a summary statement with a third woe. Uh, that's the last thing we read about these woes. Uh, so it says it's soon to come, but nothing is actually called the third woe. So we don't know for sure, but it seems to be the seven bowls of wrath that come out that strike the earth much more than anything we've seen before. So we have these three woes. Uh, but what I want to come back to is this swarm of locust-like things is the first woe. And it doesn't sound nearly as bad as the second two after it. And you go, why is this included? It sounds like maybe it should be with the first four. And we should only have two woes. What, what is going on here? And I think what happens is we read this and we hear it and it doesn't sound so bad, but it is. You know, I think maybe it's a way of letting us know how bad this really is. It may not sound because we don't properly appreciate uh, how bad these things are going to be. We don't ne- properly appreciate how miserable the people are going to feel as this one comes by. But we read in chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, this, this, this episode with these locusts from the pit. So let me read this to you. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then, the smoke came, then with, from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their faces were what looked like crowns, or on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses, horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. And this is the the, the fifth trumpet. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And so first thing we have is a star falls from heaven. And and I'd just like to share with you a little bit the correlation between stars and angels. Right? I'm not saying stars are angels. I think that might be stretching it a little bit. But there is a correlation between stars and angels. Uh, going clear back, let's go look at Job for a second. Job chapter 38. God is speaking to Job and he's saying, Where were you? How do you know? What makes you think you know anything? And among the different questions he asks him, chapter 38, verse 7 of Job, he says, on the next page, with, on what, excuse me, I'll, let me go back to uh, verse uh, Four, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the uh, stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And, and, and so we have the morning star and the sons of God. And, and if you have, uh, have an NIV, it reads the morning star and the angels. And it translates that for us as angels. And we have the stars singing and the, and the angels shouting. We have this correlation between the two. If we go to Isaiah chapter 14, we read about Satan's fall. And we, we read him being associated with a star. You know, Satan associated with a star? Yeah. Uh, Revelation or Isaiah 14, 
verses, verse 12. Uh, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low. And he is called the day star. Now, if you have a King James, it will say, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. And that's where the name Lucifer comes from, but it's actually a translation of the words day star or morning star. And Satan is called the morning star. He is called the day star. And we have this correlation going on. And if we want to stick in Revelation, we can go to Revelation 12, verses 3 and 4. It says this, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. If we look a little bit farther into verse 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Right? What are we looking at? These stars are the angels that, Satan, that fell with Satan. When Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him, and they're described as stars. We have this correlation between angels and stars going on here. So when he says, I, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, he, he's not speaking of an angel, because if we look just in verse 2, uh, it says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft of smoke, and all of a sudden that star is a he who is doing things, right? If we, if we go down to verse the, the end of that passage, the, they have his king over them. The angel of the bottomless pit, his he, name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is Apollyon, both words that mean destruction. And, and so we have uh, um, the different languages, the different names. But they, this, this star is an angel. He is a fallen angel. And he opens the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he releases locust-like creatures. And the big question about these locust-like creatures is, are these demons or are these physical creatures? Which are they? Is is this a description of demon beings that are coming out and plaguing the world? Or is this a picture of these animal creature locust things uh, that come up from the bottomless pit and and do this? Well, there's some good arguments for both. The argument for demonic, they're released from the bottomless pit. Right? That, 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 sorry, that's the bottomless pit. The, the, that's a significant thing. You know, the last book before Revelation is Jude, a little one-chapter book. Jude, cha- verse 6. I could say chapter 1, verse 6. I could say chapter 3, verse 6. doesn't matter. There's only verse 6. In Jude, verse 6, he describes angels confined to the bottomless pit. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So it describes angels confined to gloomy darkness. And here we have an, uh, an angel releasing these horrible beings from the bottomless pit who were kept there. And what are we looking at? It's, he said, until the day of judgment. Guess what we're looking at here? At least it's a day of judgment. So it might be these guys. They are freed by a fallen angel who is their king. We read both those verses already. So, so it's some good arguments for these being demonic beings, okay? There's some good arguments for these being physical beings. Uh, they, they, oh, uh, oh, another argument for the, the demonic beings, beings is they only harm those who don't have the seal of God on them, which is a spiritual limitation. 
not a natural limitation. You know, these are not visible signs that people are going to be walk up, walking around with saying, sealed by God. That'd be pretty cool if they were, but, but it's going to, they're going to be sealed and, and the angels will know. The demons will know. I'm not sure locusts will know, right? And, and so it's, it's a good argument for it being demonic. Arguments for their being physical? Well, they have really specific physical descriptions, Right, uh, their, their appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads was what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. I mean, th- th- like horses prepared for battle. I'm not sure what that means. It, it either seems to imply the way they're lined up, you know, to, ready to charge, or it has to do with, you know, the horse, picture the knight in armor and his horse in armor, and, and these things being, you know, with their, their crustacean-like shells or, or locust-like shells. I say crustacean-like. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, they have gold crowns on their head. Again, I picture, I picture a natural shell projection, you know, with ridges, and it just happens to look gold, right? Uh, because creatures don't always, they're not always monochrome, you know? Sometimes they have different parts that jump out as different colors, and, and these things have these gold things. They have faces like a human face. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure how human. I'm not sure I even want to know. I think it adds to the creep, creepy factor. Uh, you know, and then it says they have hair like women's hair. Now I always picture it blonde, (laughs) (laughs) long flowing blonde hair. I think what it's saying is long. I don't think it's necessarily saying blonde, but but that's how I picture it for some reason. Uh, But uh, but but you have this odd picture, shells and hair. And you go, no, that's not natural. There is no such thing. I say, oh yeah? This is fun. I I thought about putting the the picture up on the screen. I thought, no, I don't want to major on this thing too much. But if you're interested at all, go home and Google Yeti crab, Y-E-T-I. The, you know, the word that means abominable, abominable snowman. We used to say abominable snowman. Now they say Yeti. Yeti crab. Uh, and, and, And you'll find pictures, photographs of hairy crabs. And you go, Crabs don't have hair. Au contraire, mon frere. (laughs) Teeth like lion's teeth. Now, I don't know that they will look like lion's teeth as much as, you know, like a mouthful of teeth because they're, again, I'm going, okay, I've I've seen pictures then of Yeti crabs. I haven't seen pictures of crabs with teeth. Or, or at least lion's teeth, or, or locusts with teeth. But uh, you'll see insects with large mandibles, you know, big teeth. I think that might be what it's saying there. Breastplates like iron. Again, that, to me, that goes back and talks about the horses prepared for battle. They have wings, right? Uh, their, their hair is like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Right, because there are so many, and the wings are going, and there's so much noise with that. But the most prominent thing is these tails. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And we find this five-month things. Right, uh, if these are spirit beings, it is difficult to explain the spiritual significance of all these parts of the description. Right? It's like, okay, what is the spiritual significance of women's hair? And you go, uh, well, obviously, <laughs> I don't know what obviously is. You know, it's, it's like if this, is, if this is a description of a spiritual being, it's very strange, specific description. Uh, they, 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 uh, 
Their coming, by the way, is with physical evidence. Verse 2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And my mind, again, looking at these causes, goes back and it says, you know, natural causes, the volcano, we've pictured eruption that would be the mountain thrown into the sea. Bottomless pit, by the way, if you, if you do Google Yeti crab and you read about it, you, you'll find why you haven't seen one of these things yourself, because they dwell in deep ocean around volcan volcanic vents. Now, now, they don't fit this description, by the way. The only thing about it, they're white, they have short hair, and they don't have lion's teeth or scorpions. I mean, they don't fit this description remotely, except for the fact that they are crustaceans with hair, right? Uh, and so uh, they, they just shows, you know, when you see something is possible, then you go, wow, I wonder what else is possible. You know, what else could be here? So, so I tend to think they're physically creature, physical creatures who are demonically led. And that makes sense. Think about the connection we make or the correlation we make between Satan and the serpent. And he is even in Revelation repeatedly called the great dragon, right? A dragon is a serpent with legs, right? What did, what did the serpent lose? He lost his legs. Uh, so that's what a dragon is. Uh, and, and we see that correlation between Satan and the serpent. That, well, here apparently there's a correlation between this demon angel, fallen angel being and these locusts. And I, I, that's what I think. I could be wrong. I'm, not gonna, I'm certainly not going to bet my salvation on this. I'm not going to bet five cents for that matter because I don't know. Someday we'll, we'll know, maybe. Uh, uh, possibly these are subterranean creatures like the Yeti crab that, that live around volcanic vents and simply haven't been discovered yet. And when released to air, they will do something else. Possibly, and I've, I've heard this theory. I don't remember where I came across it. It's not original with me. Microscopic creatures connected with the mark of the beast. <laughs> So they only harm those who don't have the seal of God on the forehead because those people are running around getting the mark of the beast. So imagine you are, you are not saved and the mark of the beast comes along and you want to buy and sell, so you get this thing. And what you don't know is they're beta testing this on you. And you are, you, the whole world is a bunch of, because they're not wasting time waiting. They want to hurry up and get it done. And it turns out that these things were made in China. <laughs> <laughs> And the material is faulty, you know, and it's not clean. And everybody that gets these little chip implants so they can buy and sell gets sick for, four, or for five months. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility, too. Uh, so it could be that. Uh, it, it makes for interesting conjecture. Uh, don't know. Don't, doesn't matter, really, uh, what it's going to be. When it happens, it will be made clear. The more important is that, than, than what these things are or how they come to be or, or that kind of thing is what they do. They torment only those people who do not have the seal of God on their, on their foreheads. And, and so we look at that exclusivity. Well, physically, that explanation of the microscope microscopic creatures kind of makes sense associated with the mark of the beast. Spiritually, it's just simple. God said, no, don't hurt those people. Do you think God is big enough to stop a locust from biting you? You know, you go, man, why does he let bees sting? Maybe so that we understand. I, I also am, it's interesting the things you can do when you get paid to, to, to put together a sermon. The time you have, you can, and I, and I Googled, I tried to get a comparison of stings from bee stings to scorpion stings. And I was able to look at scorpion stings, and I was able to look at bee stings. I wasn't able to get a comparison between the two. Scorpion stings, for all the reputation they have, are very rarely fatal. To, to normal, healthy adults, even the most deadly ones normally won't kill you. Normally, they will cause you pain. They will hurt bad. Bee stings, I, I, I read about, and there's different bee stings. On the, they have a sting scale of pain, <laughs> one through five. And, and honeybees are, are more 
I, I got stung this summer. I think it was on the lowest end of the scale. It caught, made me itch. It didn't make me cry or bawl like a baby. But, uh, uh, but uh, the average sting lasts for five minutes. That's how long, according to, the, according to what they wrote. I never have timed one. Ouch, that hurts. Let me time this. You know, I've, I've, maybe you have. But they say the average sting lasts for about five minutes. Some of the worst stings might sting for ten minutes. You know, and, and like uh, sometimes it will cause a, a, an allergic reaction. Sometimes it will cause a rash and an itch that follows. But you know that sting. The sting that's different from a bite. Because the bite, you go ouch. And the sting, you go ouch. If you're going ouch as long as it stings, you're going to go ow for five minutes. Because it, it hurts that much. But, but uh, this is going to be a painful thing. Their sting is like the sting of a scorpion. But it's not going to be fatal. And, 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 and th- another question comes to mind. Why would, if these things are led by demons, why would they even bother biting people who already have the mark of the beast? Aren't they on the same side? And the answer is no. The devil doesn't hate Christians and love other people. He hates all people, right? <laughs> Demons don't like people. That's just, it's just universal. And, and so if they can't cause pain to, to Christians, sure, they'll cause pain to other people. That's fine. They'll do that. It doesn't bother them. The de- devil hates all people. Uh, he may hate Christians more, but he is the enemy of all mankind. De- demons are sadistic creatures who enjoy inflicting pain. A- and we have this torment that lasts for five months. And it says the, the, the effect of the sting is for, is, is for five months, right? It says, uh, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. That's verse 5. And then again in verse 10, we have, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And, and it sounds like the sting lasts for five months. But it might simply mean they are on the earth stinging people for a period of five months. Right? And, and, and again, I don't know which it is. Actually, I think it makes more sense that they're on the earth for five months doing this because, um, you know, it's like, anybody catch grasshoppers when you were a kid? You know, I remember catching grasshoppers on my way home from school because September is a great month to catch grasshoppers. August is a great month to catch grasshoppers. Early October maybe, but you don't catch them in November and you don't catch them in June because they're not out there, right? These things have, they're, they're locusts. They're like grasshoppers, in, in, I mean, in at least some ways. And, and so they have, have this temporary period of time where they're, they're released on earth and it's five months. But it might be, it might very well be they have a sting that lasts for five months. And that is really difficult to imagine, the kind of pain that a sting is and that thing lasting for five months. But either one is a real possibility. Uh, but the torment will be bad enough that people wish they died from it, but they will not. They will seek death, right? Look at what it says. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, again, I want to address something is, you know, we're talking about Vance's suicide attempt. And What's going on here is, is, is I mean, not, not what's going on here. Why would I preach a sermon discussing this when we have this so fresh? And the answer is because this is where I was. You know, if it was, if, if it was simply me deciding, I would not decide to preach this sermon today because I don't like that much in your faceness uh, about it. Uh, and yet, 
This is the normal progression I have. And what I've found is when I preach the sermons, I don't think I should be preaching that day. Though that's when God really seems to speak to people. So, so I'm not trying to make a special point of preaching this today. I'm not trying to avoid it today. This is simply where we are, and I'm trusting that God will use this as he will. So that's kind of an aside, but uh, there you go. They will seek death, but will not find it. Death will flee from them. Okay, again, one possibility is simply that people will be unable to die. Uh, it, it sounds bizarre. You know, at some point, how could you not die? from certain things that naturally happen in the course of this world, with even at this point still more, more than, you know, the half the world isn't dead yet and, and, and billions of people on the world. How can nobody die? Uh, is that what it's saying? And that's a possibility. But I thought about Shakespeare. I'm not a great Shakespearean hero, but I'm familiar with Hamlet. For to be or not to be, that is the question. What is he contemplating there? Should I... The word be is to exist. Should I exist or would I be better off not existing? Hamlet is a tortured soul struggling with the desire to, to live or die. He says, to sleep, to die, to sleep no more. The appeal, the escape of death. If I die, I will be released from this agony that I'm in. But then he asks another question. He says, for in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us but wait a minute, what if it's worse there? And you see Hamlet struggle. He is suffering so much, his pain is so great, he says, I wish I could die, but I'm terrified to die because it might be worse. Now read that back into, and in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Afraid to live? and afraid to die. It may well be that they are in such torment that they want to die, but they have become to recognize that God is real, and they're terrified to die. You know, the, the, in, in James it says, you believe, in, you believe in, in God? Great! So do the demons, and they tremble. Because they believe in God, but it is not good news for them. And I picture these people in this situation. And it's such a contrast with the believer's options. You know, terrified to die, terrified to live. What is our options? Privilege to live and privilege to die. Right? Uh, Philippians chapter 1. It's funny that the Bible talks on more than one occasion of this kind of thing. But Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. It's a little bit of a longer passage. But Paul is talking. He's in prison. He's, he has a possibility of dying. But he says, says uh, but that's okay. Because if I die, I get to be with Jesus. Uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope, Philippians 1, starting at verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, what, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be, depart and be with Christ, because that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of, excuse me, because of my coming to you again. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, if I live, then I get to minister, and that's wonderful. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus, and that's better. The options that the believer has are so incredibly wonderful and contrast them to the options that the non-believer has. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is, is a long passage about the resurrection. And if you want to read about your new body that's coming, uh, read on beyond where I stop here because I don't go into the new bodies, but, but read 1 Corinthians 15 and it's kind of an adrenaline rush to see what he says about the bodies we're going to have. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read verses 12 through 22. And he's discussing this thing about the resurrection from the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about him that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ only we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. And he goes on about the firstfruits and that. But in fact, Christ has been raised. We have this confidence of the resurrection. We have confidence of the resurrection. We have confidence that our life, while we're alive, has meaning. And when we die, it have, we have eternal life and new glorified bodies that are that much better. We have the promise of the resurrection. These people in Revelation, bitten and tormented by these locusts, have no such hope. And they wish they could die, but they can't do that either. And I don't know if it's because they try and fail or if it's because they, they are terrified and can't go there. But they wish they could. So what do we do? What do God's people do when they are protected? These locusts will not harm them. These are weird beasts. I mean, they, they, are, they, are, they, are, they don't do what locusts normally do. I mean, what do locusts do? They eat grass and, and trees and... and uh, green growing things. He says, do not harm, right? Do not harm the uh, grass of the field or earth or the green plant or any tree. Don't eat those things. Instead, just bite people <laughs> and bite those who don't have the mark. I mean, they're, 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 they're not doing what locusts do. Instead, they sting people. People are their target. That, that is, they, 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 are, they are predators with one prey. People. And and, and God's people will not be stung. Will not be stung. You could walk into the middle of a swarm of these things and be just fine. I also researched beekeeper suits. I thought, first thing I'm going to do is find out what beekeeper suits are called. 
They're called beekeeper suits, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Sometimes called protective suits. And you can get them for $50 and up, depending on <laughs> how much you want to spend. But most of them are like 100 plus. Uh, but not, not real expensive. They're not as much as I thought. But, but you can walk around as if in one of those. You know, the beekeeper puts on one of those, and he doesn't care if there's five bees or 500 bees or 5,000 bees. He's not going to get stung. He can just walk out in his little beekeeper suit and be fine because he is protected. And God's people are protected. These things will not sting his people. It's just, it's just that simple. So what do God's people do when they are protected from what the world suffers, from what the world fears? So I envision believers at this time. Right? This is an interesting time because this is, again, that second half of the tribulation. The, the mark of the beast is going about where you have to buy and sell. Christians are being persecuted and all these things. But, but here you are in your house... Not you, because uh, I'm wrong, and it's pre-rapture, uh, pre-trib, but uh, maybe I'm right, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so, so and, you, and you are fine, but you hear your neighbor yelling in pain. And you just saw a swarm of these things go through. They knocked on your door and said, oh, wait, we're not going here, and went on by, because you're protected. And then you hear these yells of pain from your neighbor's house. Now, your neighbor, has, it doesn't take much to put two and two together and realize he just got bit by one of these things. And, and, and he's in pain. What do you do? You say, oh, no one can protect his goodies now. <laughs> you know, do you go next door and loot the guy? Do you rob him? Do you extort him? Say, hey, I'll take care of you if you give me money. I mean, you might. Because, <laughs> I mean, you're going to live off something, and you can't buy and sell anymore. He can. But uh, <laughs> you, 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 go, what do you, do? you go over there and you help the guy. And maybe even at that point, and I don't know if a guy can get saved at that point or not, but, but that's what you do. The believer walks in, he could loot the place, he could negotiate for payment, but he ministers to the guy's need because he's a believer. And that's what he does. does. He takes care of the person. And he is a living testimony of the love of Christ to a sinner who has been stung with that sting of death that, that he cannot die from. And you are a promise to him of something better even at that time. Because he sees not just that you are protected, but that you're good. What they do then, we should do now. It's, it's that complicated. Uh, we are very much protected from what troubles them. We don't have to fear what they fear. We are, we are in many ways immune to those things. Uh, and, and if we look at 1 Corinthians, again, 50, 15, farther down, uh, I should have kept, said keep your Bibles open, but I didn't keep mine open either. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 57. It says it's a long chapter that talks about this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. It's out of the book of Joel. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's the application, right? The application of the sting of death being taken away in 1 Corinthians, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And, and it may simply be coincidence that what plagues the world in Revelation 9 is a sting. <laughs> and 1 Corinthians talked about the sting of death. And therefore, because you are immune to that sting, because the sting has been taken away, 
be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, world, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The answer is just as obvious in the world today as it will be in the world then. Be to your neighbors that light and help and, and living message of hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, I ask for the ability to represent you in this world, to be hope to a world that needs hope, to offer life to a world that needs life. Lord God, I praise you for the victory and the freedom from the sting of death and the knowledge of eternal life, the confidence of a resurrection to come, that whatever happens in this world, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, thank you for that victory and the knowledge of it. I pray in Jesus' name.